Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode. Firstly, I just want to say thank you so, so much for all your incredible and positive feedback about last week's episode about mum guilt with Carolyn Cohen. Nothing makes me happier to hear the impact that the episodes are having so thank you so much for taking the time to reach out and let me know that you found it powerful I am incredibly grateful and I read every single message so thank you and if you haven't listened then please do go and have a listen to last week's episode on mum guilt this week we've got something different so I think we're 85 episodes in now And this is a subject which we've never covered on its own, which is sex, specifically postnatal sex. So this week's episode is with Cleo Wood, who is the founder of And Breathe, which are postnatal retreats for frazzled parents. And she talks about her experience of it taking two years postpartum to get her sex life back on track. And she also shares loads of wisdom and experience, having spoken to hundreds of women now about this so often unspoken subject. And it feels really relevant to me right now. I am six weeks postpartum, so it feels really important to be having these conversations. And I hope you really enjoy it. Even if you're not postpartum, I think a lot of what Cleo talks about is relevant and insightful, not only about sex, but also about relationships and long-term relationships. So I hope you really enjoy the episode. As ever, if you did, please, 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 would you leave a five-star review on iTunes and share it with at least one friend. I say this often, but I think the guests and the wisdom that we have on the podcast does deserve to be heard far and wide. So please help me with my mission to do that. Here's the episode. So welcome to the podcast, Cleo. Hello. So we are going to talk about postnatal sex. All the good things. Well, I'm quite excited because (laughs) I've never really covered this topic at all on the podcast. Well, I just think that's partly why I'm so passionate about talking about it you know passionate in both senses of the word I guess because no one is talking about it and whenever it comes up in a conversation like one-on-one with a new mom or a friend they're just astonished that actually someone else is going through it as well that's part of the reason that I want to have this conversation more and more because actually there is help out there and you're not alone but everyone thinks they are and everyone's a bit embarrassed about it I mean we are British mostly so everyone kind of thinks oh it's just me it's a bit embarrassing there's no one that can help me anyway I'm sure it will get better in a year or two and sometimes it doesn't it's um, almost like isn't it because when I first had Jessie who's four now there was no chat about pelvic floor post-birth yeah. and incontinence post-birth yeah. that has totally changed now which is I feel brilliant. like there's an amazingly strong conversation and support and resources and I feel like maybe postnatal sex is going to go the same way that in <laughs> four or five crossed. years yeah. it would be like a really yeah you know democratized open conversation but you're right yeah. right now you're the first person that's pitched this to me really yeah 
I just think it's so important because right at the heart of your postnatal life like your world's been turned upside down whether you're having a first baby or a second you know something's going to change and actually at the heart of that is your relationship if you're lucky enough to be in a relationship but it is so impacted by the way that you feel by the way that you feel about your body by the way that you physically you are inside as well what kind of birth you had whether you're depressed or have anxiety or just and, exhausted or just exhausted or not really you know, for most women, I've spoken to quite a lot of women about this now, like for a couple of articles I've written. And actually for all of them that I spoke to, they were like, it is so hard for me to get in the mindset these days. Actually, if you were to give me an hour of foreplay, I might just get there. But the old 10 minute humble is not going to do it anymore. You know, so what does that do to your relationship? How does your other half feel about that? If your relationship is on an even keel, parenting is just about possible. If it's on a bit of a downer, then parenting becomes even harder. So it's a bit of a downward spiral. And I think for me, it's just at the heart of everything. Everything's linked, obviously, like in terms of mental health and physical health and and your relationship status and health as well. But I think it's really important to have that conversation. So where does this passion come from? What was your experience? <laughs> give us the, it wasn't give great. Us, yeah, um, I'm guessing. So, yeah, don't tend so, to get passionate about things that no. found challenging. <laughs> I think challenging is the right word to describe it as well. So I basically had quite a traumatic birth. Hospital birth? Uh, hospital birth, which I was fine with. I always wanted to be in hospital, but I did quite want water birth. Didn't quite happen. Did you end up having a section? No. So it was fontus and then episiotomy and forceps. And then the cord was round Delphi's neck. So she came out. She wasn't descending, which is why she had to be pulled out. And then the cord was really tight around her neck. So they had to get it over when the head came out, but it snapped. So she lost quite a lot of blood. So she then had to be resuscitated. Like they got her out super quickly. She had to be resuscitated. And then obviously she had to go for a blood transfusion. So I held her for like 10 seconds before she was taken away to NICU. She was fine. And in comparison to those other babies in there she was like the healthiest one there all she needed was a blood transfusion so from that point of view I think you know we got away quite lightly but it obviously has an impact in terms of the way that I was feeling about it I also had scarring both from the episiotomy and also I had a couple of internal grazes from the forceps as well which I didn't know until much later all I knew was that we kind of thought oh it's got to about six weeks post well maybe we should get a little bit jiggy again you know six weeks six weeks yeah which I in my head I thought well that's normal normal in inverted commas is different for everyone so you know some people try much earlier than that you mentioned you have been having heard a story about someone trying to have sex in the hospital before they'd even left um we don't know whether it's true or not but it's one of those anecdotal things that does the rounds a friend of mine did actually try two or three weeks afterwards and was like yeah it's totally fine so everyone's different it might take you a few weeks it might take you a few months it actually took my husband and I about two years before we got back to normal pleasurable sex so it was a really long journey um two years yeah to get back to normal pleasurable sex yeah so tell us so, so you, yeah let's examine that so had the scarring knew when we tried about six weeks later that something wasn't right because it was incredibly painful it was like someone was cutting me with shards of glass inside it was so painful and I wasn't sure what to expect so I at the beginning was like 
oh well I'm sure it's fine it'll get better and we had to stop it was so painful I was crying like he was upset because obviously he thought that it was his fault but obviously it wasn't so I then went to the GP I didn't at this stage know about the scarring I knew I'd had an episiotomy but the midwives and the health visitors had checked the scars and gone oh well it's healing fine it's fine I was like okay fine so it can't be that so I went to the GP to see if I could investigate a little bit more it took ages for them to be able to see me at which point they tested for infections and then I came back a few weeks later for the results of those and it was all clear so they tested for some more infections which again a few weeks later came back clear so then I was referred to the hospital to see a gynecologist which maybe took two months for me to get that appointment and then at the hospital they were like yeah I can't really see anything wrong here don't see why there should be an issue so we'll refer you for an internal ultrasound another couple of months later okay. <laughs> went to this internal so suddenly ultrasound. you're six months postpartum I mean at yeah. least eight nine probably right, by okay. this point went for the ultrasound which was of course really painful because it's a probe going up inside your vagina to see if anything was wrong they didn't find anything so by the time I got those results again it was another month later and I got those back at the gynecologist and so in that final appointment I think must have been maybe 10-11 months in she examined me again at no point up until that moment had anyone touched the scars and examined them like manually all anyone had done was basically like look up my vagina (laughs) from a distance and at that point she like ran her finger lightly over the scars and it was agony and so she was like oh it's just the scarring and I was like okay great so what do I do about that she was like oh it'll get better like you know just carry on as you are which I now know actually there is a lot you can do with scar massage but she didn't mention any of that so discharged me fine okay on you go and at the same time I'd actually been introduced to a women's health physio Amanda Savage who is actually now our the Ambreeze resident women's health physio because she's just amazing and I love her but she genuinely like changed my whole perception on pelvic floor health and postnatal sex in this case as well and I went to see her and she for initial consultation and everything and she basically said well a your pelvic floor is really really tight which I didn't even realise was a thing. I thought all the talk around pelvic floor at that point, and for me, everything that I knew was around it being too loose and not strong enough, you know, potentially incontinence and, you know, all things like that. So I had been so nervous that my pelvic floor would be too loose that I had been desperately doing pelvic floor exercises the whole way through my pregnancy. But at no point had anyone said, oh, by the way, you know you've got to release at the end, which... Literally, my jaw just dropped when she told me that. I was like, oh my God, I've literally been doing a good year of pelvic floor exercises, at least a year, and just squeezing, squeezing, squeezing the whole time and never releasing. So my pelvic floor was way too tight. My scars were really, really sore because no one had told me to massage them. But actually, you can desensitise scars. It takes a long time, but you should be massaging to help the new scar tissue heal and desensitise. And the other thing about both my internal grazes and my episiotomy is that actually it really impacts the rest of the pelvic floor as well. Like if you have a scar anywhere, it's a little bit like having, say, if you kind of grab the edge of your jumper and twist it slightly, you can see that the material pulls all the way from the other side. And that's what your scar tissue is doing to the rest of your muscles and area around it. 
So the fact that I had scarring was also layered upon the top of my hypertonic pelvic floor, my too tight pelvic floor, was just making sex just unbearable. And because I had had a traumatic birth, I had also just completely gone into myself. And she literally stood behind me and was like, uh, can you relax your shoulders, please? And I didn't even know that my shoulders were like up by my ears. And so the whole of my body had just been tense for a year. Trauma, yeah. In trauma, yeah, in trauma mode or what I guess. And so that again had not helped my pelvic floor. So those three things in combination were basically at the root of it. Looking back on now what I know, my GP, after eight weeks in or whenever it was I managed to see her, should have asked me, have you seen a women's health physio or referred me to a women's health physio because at least they can examine you and would have examined you internally immediately. Do they have women's health physios on the NHS? Absolutely. Okay, so if you're listening and you are maybe relating or you're wondering about this, you can, can you ask? Yes. Okay, yeah. so you can go to your GP and say, please refer me to a women's yeah. health physio. If actually, some GPs will offer it because they're a little bit more aware about these situations. Perhaps they've got more time. Perhaps they, you Might know, specialise in women's health. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if they don't, know that that is an option. You know, the waiting list might be quite long. If you are feeling really desperate and you're lucky enough to be able to afford it, actually an initial consultation should only be about £65, £75. You know, it might be 100 at the most, which it kind of depends on what situation you're in. It's if a you, lot of if money you, if you don't have it. It is. But- but if yeah, you're if really you desperate and you can afford it, it may well be worth doing for your own kind of peace of mind and sanity and relationship. Because I think we all have this thing around what part sex plays in our own identity. And it's different for everyone. But for me, it felt like I was failing because I couldn't have sex properly. So you didn't have sex properly for two years. Yeah. And what was the impact on your relationship with your husband? So my husband's always been really understanding and gets it. And actually, he's not one of these people who was pressuring me to have sex every day, every week, every month, or whatever it was. So he was totally fine with that. It was more that I wanted us to be having better sex for our own relationship and to be able to connect again better because we just weren't. How did you maintain the intimacy in your marriage while you were unable to have sex? I was pretty hard. I don't think we did very well at that. We did try and be intimate, but I think my own personal relationship with sex meant that I felt that it wasn't truly worthwhile unless we were actually going to have penetrative sex which is a bit silly yeah Yeah. and that's my own thing and actually I know now that that isn't the case and I would always advise people to find other ways of being intimate so whether that's like a hug in bed or a cuddle a snogging session I know that's like such a 90s thing but like have a pash on the living room sofa you know it's really old school but actually it can be really nice to connect like that and know that if you have established that sex is off the agenda know that that is a really lovely thing to do instead there's also lots of stuff that you can both do that is non-penetrative obviously or by not having penetrative sex like penis to vagina like it could be fingers or using your mouth or anything like that and that can actually be very satisfying for both of you without having the pressure sometimes more intimate yeah definitely and it helps to learn to talk to each other as well actually I think we sometimes get stuck in a rut don't we if you've been together for a little while and you know perhaps you've grown over however many five ten years you've been together but you might not have 
developed your sexual relationship in that time. So it can be quite nice to actually talk about it. It can be embarrassing at first, but the more you talk about it, the less embarrassing it gets. And why shouldn't you talk about it? It's quite an integral part of your relationship. Otherwise, you may as well just be friends. Mm -hmm. So you've obviously been talking about this to lots of experts and lots of Mm. women. You've got your particular challenge, which was around the scar tissue and finding it painful for two years. If someone isn't relating to that, like say someone is thinking, well, there's nothing wrong with me physically. Sex doesn't hurt. I just don't feel sexy. And I relate to this. Like I... You're just exhausted. I think yeah. for the first two years, I was so exhausted. Yeah, absolutely. I just, when I got into bed at the end of the day, I mean, it was like the last thing <laughs> on my mind. Yeah. Sorry, what? Was Who to then have sex. <laughs> like, oh, God. I mean, I love my husband and I fancy him, but I just, I was too tired. Yeah, absolutely. Is that quite normal? I mean, it's obviously, totally, that's very normal. I'm well, thinking that's very, it's very really, normal. really, really common. It's really common. You know, from the people I've interviewed and spoken to, it is a question of mindset. So a lot of people have found very unsexy in a way, but scheduling it really helps. Knowing if there's one night a week or a fortnight or a month or whatever is appropriate for you and your relationship, knowing that that is coming up and kind of prepping for it in a way. So being more touchy-feely during the daytime, trying to be nice to each other I mean there is um, that's the other thing isn't it you know gosh children you're bickering (laughs) you know I've just done an amazing podcast on mental load there's a lot of resentment around it can be so hard to want to connect in that way a lot of people might know Esther Perel who is a psychosexologist and she is incredible but her whole thing is that foreplay starts the minute sex ends which is really hard to remember as a parent because A, we're exhausted, B, we're like super busy, especially if you're working as well, inside or outside the home. But if you can remember that those moments of intimacy and being nice to each other actually all add up to the next time you have sex, you feeling much more positively inclined towards your partner, that's the first hurdle, is actually like feeling like you like them. It sounds silly, but Quite a lot of people I speak to are like, I kind of hate my husband right now because blah, 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 or, you know, vice very, versa. Very, very, very normal to get that, especially yeah. if you're the one up at night yes. feeding which you, first which, year yeah. or how long you're feeding for. You know, I remember I used to get these rages, which I now know is totally normal. Yeah. I didn't know that before, so I was a bit worried about where's this rage coming yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where I'd be feeding in the dark because I didn't want to put the light on and wake him up. No, and then, like, sure. now I'd be like... And he's there snoring. Yeah, and he was there <laughs> snoring and I would get this, like, rage. Yeah. And from there I just didn't... Didn't know where to go. Well, there's just no way that I would yeah. then want to be intimate. Yeah, absolutely. And that's really hard. So I think... A, I would recommend couples therapy to anyone, whether you think your marriage needs it or relationship needs it or not, because actually going and having a check-in once every couple of months. Did you do couples therapy during these two years of no sex? So we both saw a therapist individually. We now see a couples therapist like once a month, once every couple of months, just depending on what we need. Yeah, we we talk about couples therapy so much on the podcast. Do you? Yeah, Yeah. loads, because Guy and I had it. Well, we had our first round of couples therapy when we were together six months. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I knew that I was already deep into my healing and recovery. Yeah. From, you know, my own dysfunctional family origin. So I knew that I had to be with someone who was willing to do the work with me. Otherwise, yeah. I knew it wouldn't work. Yeah. So I said to someone one day, how am I going to know whether I should 
do this or yeah whether this whether I should invest in this relationship so I think we were talking about maybe moving in and she said well ask him to couples therapy if he says absolutely not runs for the hills you have your answer that he's not interested in growth oh my god I love that so I asked him (laughs) at six months and he bless him was like yeah great let's do it so yeah we were six months together in couples therapy and we've had many rounds since yeah I just Um, think it's really important because you're so engrossed in the personal nature of your relationship that you need sometimes I think someone else to be like well hold fire okay you're saying this but you're hearing this or vice versa and you know perhaps you're not expressing something but the other person doesn't know that you're not expressing it very well so it takes a third person I think and you learn the skills I think that's what I always say about couples therapy it's I say go before you're in crisis because you will learn when I look at my parents' marriage and when I look at my in-laws' marriage, there isn't really much that we can model there in terms of emotional intimacy. So that wasn't it. Yeah. So I said to Guy, I'm going to have to learn this. Yeah. I didn't say yeah. you have to learn it yeah. too, but that's what I was thinking. <laughs> and I'm going to have to One learn this. have to learn it. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what a emotionally intimate, honest Positive relationship. marriage looked yeah. like yeah. because my parents were together a long time, but it was never that functional. Yeah. <laughs> So I learned all this new language. And yeah. even last night, actually, we were talking about something that came up. And I said, you know, the story I'm telling myself is that when I say this to you, you say back. And he went, well, what I'm hearing is... And we were using so all the language the from therapy. Yeah, and we didn't argue. Yeah. And in the end, we were actually pissing ourselves laughing because I was like, how can you think that? Yeah. He was like, how can you think that? And I was like, this is my reality. Yeah. I was like, this is my reality. And we were laughing. Yeah. And that's only because we can only navigate that because we've been... Because you've given, been shown how. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which I think is really important, isn't it? And I think especially in a situation where it can become quite tense, those conversations around sex and your relationship, because actually a lot of your own self-image might be tied in around that as well. How you're feeling about your body postnatally, whether you're feeling strong or not, whether you feel like you are well-equipped to go on in life after such a big event. And it's the same as well for guys. Like, a lot of them are probably wondering, well, why doesn't she want to have sex with me anymore? That's not necessarily about them, but it can feel like that. And was your husband able to express any of that stuff to you during those two years? Yeah, definitely. He's actually, I mean, he's quite good at self-reflection and kind of sensitively exploring that, which, you know, I'm very lucky to have. So, yeah, it could have been very different but it was definitely a journey for both of us. And there were times when it was awful and times when it was less awful. But taking that time to explore it and now being able in a couples therapy environment to kind of explore that as well, I think is really important. You asked a little while ago about, you know, okay, well, what if it's not painful? Actually, 83% of women experience some kind of painful problem with sex postnatally. Over what period? The first three months, but it goes down to, over the first nine months, it only goes down to about 60%. So most of us... those are quite high numbers. (laughs) And it's quite interesting that those are the figures, but actually we all think everyone else is, you know, busy having sex, you know, left, right and centre, and imagining that everyone else's sex life is totally on track and has no problems at all but those are quite high numbers I think so it's interesting I think isn't it the the stories that we present to the world because it is an intimate part of our lives like we're not necessarily going to share it with everyone apart from me Um, but I think it's quite reassuring actually to know that 
those numbers quite high mm. because you're probably not going to be alone in that. So what does someone do if they are not feeling like they want sex for any reason, whether it's painful like yeah. yours or they feel like their body's not their own, which is how I felt actually. Yeah. I felt like yeah. milk was everywhere and yeah. I just, it just oh, didn't God, feel like, yeah. So what does someone do if their partner, because obviously before children, sometimes the sex drives can match, yeah. not always, yeah. but often that sex drive can match. Yeah. And then suddenly you throw in this baby and, yeah. and the woman's our sex drive can go to the floor yeah. and the man stays the yeah. same yeah so what does someone do if they've got a partner unlike yours who sounds like he was beautifully understanding and kind <laughs> yeah. so what does someone do if they said if the guy is like i want sex i'm a man it's yeah. been a year i'm yeah. gonna have to you know what does someone do so i think there's definitely stuff that you can do before it gets to a year i would say first port of call is to be honest and open about it even if your other half has a really high sex drive and you don't anymore ask yourself or ask them you need to have the conversation around whether they're comfortable actually hurting you whether that's physically or mentally if you're not prepared for sex and you're having sex and it's actually hurting you mentally that's probably not a great situation to be in so I think even being aware of yourself what it's doing to you understanding why you don't want to have sex and why you're not ready for it and then being able to communicate that I think is the first step yeah and I do think it's really important not to have sex if it's not feeling good yeah absolutely this is, this is an empowerment especially issue. exactly you're absolutely right and also physically the way that we have sex it can feel even more of a violation to you because you know something's penetrating you so if you're not ready for it and a lot of women aren't because, you know, even physically as well, because lubrication goes out the window for a lot of people, for most people, postnatally, just because your hormones are in such flux. So you're dry anyway. For me, that actually hasn't really come back. And for some people, it doesn't. There are a lot of lubricants out there. And there's a really good organic one as well, which I would highly recommend. But that's by the by. So there are ways to get around that. So if that's an issue, communication and, and honesty with yourself and with your partner, I think, the number one things if you can afford or be referred to therapy I think that's really important if you're finding it hard to have that conversation without it and then I guess the other thing is knowing that there are other things that you can do apart from penetrative sex that can be equally satisfying and hopefully that will see you through until such a point as you can feel like you're in a better place the other thing that I hear a lot is that if someone's pelvic floor is not quite strong enough people worry about that and that can impact the pleasure what about that, wetting themselves during sex well that is a possibility but also it means that sex might not be as pleasurable so therefore you're less likely to want to do it or you might feel self-conscious that you're in inverted not tight enough in inverted commas because those are the stories that we've been told growing up that's the dialogue in society you know oh she's had a baby she's never going to be the same again which i think is appalling firstly <laughs> and also it's not true for a lot of people but it can be true for some people and that's fine that's completely normal you have just pushed quite an enormous thing out of your vagina or if you've had a c-section you've been carrying around that weight on your pelvic floor for nine ten months so it's totally normal you're not alone i don't know anyone who hasn't had to work on the pelvic floor in some way or another after childbirth whatever form of childbirth that was so whether it's making it stronger or making it more flexible or making sure to, to be able to release at the end. So there's a, like a whole gamut of pelvic floor health that we should be more aware of. It's not just about 
squeezing, 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 or lifting, lifting, lifting. You know, you have to kind of consider the full spectrum. And have you come across any great books or resources? Or obviously, you know, you've been writing about this and talking about mm. this, but you've been immersed in this. Yeah. You've mentioned Esther Perel, who yeah. is incredible. Yeah. What other resources have you found really helpful? So actually, there aren't loads around this topic. As you said at the beginning, it isn't something that people are talking about loads at the moment. There's a really great relationship one, which does touch a little bit on the physical side, which is called How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids. Um, oh, I've not heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> by Jancy Dunn I think her name is which is excellent so that's a nice one to dip into I'm actually working on a project at the moment which I won't tell you the whole details about it it'll be a resource and information and tools like actual physical tools for you to be able to use when you're ready to go back to sex postnatally as well which I'm really excited about because as you say there isn't anything out there at the moment so I want people to have this information so and it will cover the whole range of things from like emotional reasons to you know hormonal reasons to physical reasons to just being too tired and how to kind of navigate those things plus giving you like a few nice tools to use along the way as well so yeah I'm really excited about that so that should be ready in the next few months and maybe mm. I can come back and tell you about that and what about <laughs> so obviously that book how not to hate your husband assumes that someone has a husband yeah what about single in, insert, insert mothers well, yeah. and dating and yeah what's the lowdown on that yeah someone navigate that (laughs) really hard I would imagine I mean I don't have any personal experience of it there is a lovely blog out there which I can't remember the name of now but I'll put it it in the show notes yeah, yeah and I'll send it over to you but that's a really interesting journey in itself we actually host a lot of independent parents on our retreats and yeah they, that's why I'm asking yeah, yeah cause, cause um, I know they're known to be very inclusive yeah and so it's quite nice to be able to have that conversation I think there is a sense of less pressure because there's no one there at the beginning so you can take your time coming back to sex when you feel ready you quite often know your own body a little bit better because you've been on your own for a little while so I think that can be quite empowering certainly for lots of people that I've spoken to because you have that awareness about yourself and what you want what makes you happy what you find pleasurable and so then being able to date and find a person after that sometimes is easier because you know what you're looking for on a physical level certainly I mean obviously on a emotional or long-term relationship level it might be different but you know certainly for sex I think that can be quite empowering for some people because you're not pressured into it sooner than you want to be yeah is there anything that we haven't talked about so far that you think it's really important for people to know who are listening I think we underestimate the physical changes that we go through postnatally because of childbirth I think the rhetoric as you so often talk about is around carrying on as normal getting back to what you were like snapping back this getting back thing is oh god Because there's no other area in life where we want to go backwards. No, quite. Except for wrinkles, maybe. Yes, exactly. Again, (laughs) which is the same thing. It's the same thing. And it's so fascinating to me that we have this. You cannot go back. Your body is different. Your brain chemistry is different. You can't go back. Exactly. And I think that brings up a lot of fear in people. Absolutely. And I can totally relate to that because knowing that you can't. You can't ever be the same again. Well, but my, boobs, be really... my boobs are like 
<laughs> I just know. They, they I really... mean, I would never have a boob job because that's not, they just wouldn't, but they're just never going to be like they were before. That's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Because you've it's got, fine. what have you got to show for that? You've got like an amazing family. I think we undervalue that. We put so much value on a woman's youth and looks and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's really damaging for a lot of us. And actually what we all could do well to remember is the amazing things that you have done. Like you've created a life, you've born a being, and that's probably worth a few stretch marks or a journey afterwards. It's about being like stronger in your new self and happy in your new self, not about getting back to how you were. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I asked the same question, which you'll know because you listen to the podcast, yeah. which is that if you could give one gift to all the mums in the world, what would it be and why? Ugh, such a hard one. I, know. <laughs> I was on my way here. I was like, oh, what would it be? What would it be? I think on a practical level, a session with the women's health physio. Yeah, I was hoping you were going to say that. that really, would be a great gift if I everyone would, could have. That. I mean, I didn't even know they existed until a year after I had my daughter. And if someone had told me pre-birth, like four weeks afterwards, that actually that's a really sensible and normal and really helpful thing to do, I would have been straight there. But as it was, you know, some people are very. Well, that's lucky. the sort of thing we should be teaching in antenatal classes yeah, NCT yeah. And, and all the other you know like newbies and all the yeah. other great ones that are coming up now to compete yeah. with nct yeah that's definitely something that we should be yeah 100 teaching isn't it yeah to- we always ask that people go and see a women's health physio before they come on one of our retreats if possible a because a lot of people haven't heard of it they know that it's a thing and because they don't really know how helpful it can be but obviously for us working with fitness and strengths and so on the core and the pelvic floor is an integral part of that. So actually we can then help guests get much more from the retreats if we know what their pelvic floor health is like and what we're working with. So it can only be beneficial, I think, in lots of different areas of life. Well, I'm definitely going to yeah. be seeing your women's health physio <laughs> when, I, when, I've had, <laughs> when I've had this baby. Although I think I did actually go, I went to see one. Did you? Yeah, I went to one women's wellness centre, it was called. Oh, brilliant. Well, yeah. In Clapham. Yeah, yeah, near. And it was good. Yeah. It was good to do yeah. that. But only because, I only knew that because a friend had gone. Yeah. A friend had gone and exactly. she'd said she'd had issues similar to yours actually and she'd said it's really good to go and do this so I was like okay in France they get 10 sessions 10 hours postnatally it's very different in France isn't it yeah yeah that's a conversation in itself because they're quite paternalistic in terms of their healthcare and you know the view of women and so on so you could argue it's because of that but equally it's an amazing resource to have so and I think just what you said really struck a chord just remember if you're resonating with what we've talked about, you can ask your GP yeah. for a referral to a women's health. Yeah, definitely. GP is always the first port of call, but there are more resources than you think out there at the moment, whether that's on Instagram or, you know, if you just Google, you should be able to find at least something which will lead you to more. And I'll put some links in the show notes to this episode. So if there's something is struggling or a friend yeah. or, you know, your pregnant friend or a yeah. postnatal friend or, you know, we all know people who might be yeah. more support for this. I will Absolutely. put all these links that Clear's going to send me yeah. in the show notes and then you can just click on there on the website and they will be there. Brilliant. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So that's it. 
Thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, please do leave a review on iTunes. It does make a massive difference to the number of mums that we can reach with this content. If you were listening to that episode, thinking about one of your friends, that they might benefit from what we were chatting about, then just tag them in on Instagram. My bio will include the link to the podcast so they can find it really easily from there. People often tell me they're desperate to share it with their friends. So if that's you, then please do. I feel like the guests that we have on the podcast, their wisdom just deserves to be heard far and wide. So help me make that happen. I'd be very grateful. And also, if you want to send me any comments or thoughts about the episode, then please pop over onto Instagram at motherkind underscore Zoe. And also just to let you know about my coaching. So I do work one-on-one with mums on my programme which is a three-month program called Reconnect to You. So if you want to work with me on taking your power back in any area of your life, then please do get in touch. Just drop me an email, zoe at motherkind.co or look on the website, www.motherkind.co. That's it. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.